Welcome to the Deadology Podcast from Pencil Hill Studio, New Paltz, New York. I'm your host, Howard Weiner. Today is November 6, 2023. Uh, two days ago, uh, November 4th, I celebrated my 60th birthday. And a couple of shows from November 4th will be the topic of this episode, episode 14 of the Deadology Podcast. One Garcia Band show, one dead show. Uh, we're going to unpack the music of the Grateful Dead and Cotterill Jim, November 4th, 1977. And then we'll take a look at the Jerry Garcia Band show at the Palace Theater in Albany, New York, November 4th, 1981. These are both intimate venues of state New York. And this was a, a great time period for the, uh, for the Grateful Dead, Jerry Garcia Band, Deadheads. Upstate New York was a breeding ground for deadheads, especially in this this period. Um, uh, the Grateful Dead were doing okay commercially, not great, but they were building up an, an amazing, intense following, especially in the New York State and Northeast area. They already had uh, their fans out west in the California area, uh, but they really got a stronghold here in, in upstate New York. Uh, we'll start off with the 77 Dead Show at Colgate University, University, Hamilton, New York, Cotterell Gym. And prior to that, 1977 was a, a year of great, great excitement, anticipation for the Grateful Dead and their fans, uh, especially in the Northeast. Uh, you had that great May run, all those great shows, uh, May of 77. And of course, everybody knows the Cornell show, May 8th. Um, and Cornell is only about a little less than an hour from uh, Colgate University. And also in 1977, in, in that general area, you had the big English town show, 150,000 fans out there. Uh, that caused great excitement and built uh, the, the, the momentum uh, was rolling. Uh, we also had the release of Terrapin Station. Um, and all the great songs that brought into the into the band's repertoire, you know, including Terrapin, Samson, Passenger, just to name a few. It was also the year Scarlet Fire and Estimated Eyes were born live in concert. Huge year. And to kind of top it all off, they had the Grateful Dead movie was released, I believe it was in June of 77. So yeah, just a great, great momentum uh, rolling that year. So let's go to Cotterill Jim. The smallest venue the Grateful Dead played on that 1977 tour. For a basketball game, uh, the gym will hold about 1,750 spectators. For a concert, they managed to pack 3,000 into this tiny place, and I actually went and visited the place last year. Beautiful little gym, but you just you can't imagine if you if you walk into this gym and look around, hard to almost impossible to imagine the Grateful Dead pack 3,000 in there, just the Grateful Dead and all their equipment getting in there. Uh, the place uh, just was a, must have been a packed tinderbox that night on no, November 4th. And uh, a friend of mine who has a uh, blog, uh, a great blog we're checking out, it's called Grateful Seconds, Dave Davis wrote a little bit about the November 4th show. And so there were 3,000 tickets available. Uh, 700 were available to the public deadheads and 2,300 went to students of Colgate University. And I'm sure the campus had a lot of deadheads there already, but I, I'm, I'd, like, I'd probably uh, guess that a lot of that 2,300 somehow ended up in the, in the hands of uh, other deadheads. 
but uh, just a, an incredible place to see the, the Grateful Dead, at, really at the height of their rock and roll powers in 1977. Uh, there's very few, this three-night run, uh, November 4th, it's, they, were, they were in, a, let's take it back a sec, we're going to, they came from Seneca College, November 2nd, and Toronto was uh, before they went to Colgate. So they're at Colgate November 4th, November 5th, they're in Rochester, and November 6th, they're in Binghamton. And that three-night run is as good as it gets. Uh, that will stand up toe-to-toe with any three-night run in Grateful Dead history, as far as I'm concerned. Uh, so let's dig in a little bit here. Set one. I'm going to go through set one pretty quickly, because set two is where, where most of the magic happens in this show. But uh, the Grateful Dead came out rocking. You know, they, they had it going. Uh, Birth of Good Love and Topin. Great versions of Brown Eyed Women and Cassidy. Uh, the, the band is just so tight. Garcia's ripping. Uh, and, the, and the show is just, it's kind of begging for the right songs to come along at this point. Uh, it must have been The Roses. Uh, Donna does her new tune, Sunrise. Uh, I, I, like, I very much like the melody of that song. I think it's a little bit of a maligned song. It's pretty cool. And Donna sings good. May not be the greatest lyrics, but it's uh, always kind of enjoyed Sunrise. And uh, a romping New Minglewood. And then the show comes to a real, the set comes to a real nice peak with two songs, uh, which is the key to this first set, uh, Dupree's Diamond Blues. And I believe this is, counting up the songs now, it's in the eighth spot of the first set. Um, Dupree's, they stopped playing Dupree's back in 1969, and then they brought it back. Uh, Nice little surprise. I think Portland was the first show they brought it back uh, at the beginning of October, I think this is the fourth version of Dupree's in 1977, so it was a very welcome song to bring back to the rotation. And of the Dupree's from this uh, time period, I think this one is the best. Uh, it's got that folksy, like, 69 vibe to it, yet it has the, the rock and roll power that the dead were exuding. In uh, 1977, uh, Jerry singing on it is, is terrific. So it's a very cool Dupree's Diamond Blues. And then the set ends with... Uh, uh, one of what was developing into one of their great show-stopping endings, Let It Grow. Uh, this is a 14-minute Let It Grow, um, probably the second best of this year. Um, if we go back five, six days to DeKalb, October 29th, um, and they played in DeKalb, Illinois, and that's a legendary Let It Grow where just the, the, the guitar jamming is so crazy. It's so obvious. It just grabs you. There's no way you could listen to this version and not recognize it as a great version. That, that's how hot it is. But this Colgate one is uh, equally impressive. It's just a little sneakier. You know, not as um, over-the-top in-your-face as the decal the version, but a lot of great jamming. The, and the second solo goes on real long. It's like Jerry doesn't want to quit. A very jazzy, subtle feel to it, but a, definitely a, a powerhouse, let it grow. So that's the uh, first set. And the band takes a break, and everybody's kind of taking it in. They're seeing the Grateful Dead in this amazing small gym. And they come out for the second set, and things will never be the same. So uh, in typical Grateful Dead fashion, they got a few tuning issues. Bob's trying to get the band sound just exactly perfect. And then Phil Lesh steps to the mic and delivers one of the most famous introductions in Grateful Dead history. Well, at this time, I think it would be propitious for us to introduce the band. We're the Jones Gang, folks. 
stage, ladies and gentlemen, a star whose name has gone beyond him, even unto the farthest galaxies, <laughs> Bob Jones. <laughs> On drums back here, we have also, actually, uh, I'm Phil Jones, and that's Mick Jones. <laughs> All the other Joneses were there. Donna Jones on vocals. Who knows? Bob Dylan's Mr. Jones may have even been there. Hey, by the way, I've got Dylan on my mind. I'm going to see him at the Capitol Theater in Portchester uh, tomorrow night. Uh, he's the amazing survivor, Bob Dylan. But anyway, let's get back to Colgate, set two. So the Jones gang, a.k.a. the Grateful Dead, come out and rip the place apart, rip the tiny, tiny building gym apart with Samson and Delilah. And uh, that song went through quite a transition from 1976, the year earlier, when it had a funkier vibe to it. Um, you know, definitely some good uh, guitar work, instrumentals on it. But in 1977, it became a straight out romp em, stomp em, rock and roll, kick the door down, uh, get the joint jumping, and uh, they surely did that in uh, Colgate. Great opening, Samson, searing guitar leads, and then it, they delivered a beautiful surprise with the following tune. If I- Don't Blow, the first cold rain and snow they played in 1977. They saved it up for Colgate. It probably would have been a fitting song last time they played in New York, which was um, 
a show you may have heard of before, May 8th, Cornell Barton Hall. That was a cold and rainy May day, and uh, that song would have been perfect for that occasion, but they may have been thinking of it, may have been a little flashback to, uh, to Cornell there as they surprised the faithful with a cold and rain on the heels of a smoking Samson. After cold rain, they go into playing in the band. And playing in the band in uh, 1977, definitely a a different vibe than, you know, your 72, the mind-boggling 72 psychedelic versions, uh, some of the great greatest music the Grateful Dead ever played. Uh, When they break into these 1977 versions, they feel like they're almost more of a setup for serving the bigger purpose of what's to come in the uh, song segues. And on this version, the drummers kind of lead the way coming out of the uh, the vocal part. And this is the first chance the Colgate really gets to ex- experience the the majesty of Grateful Dead weirdness. Uh, Garcia and company whittle on. And as they're looking at the next segment they're going to do, it seems like uh, Bob Weir starts strumming little things that are hint of eyes of the world. Jerry picks up on it. And sure enough, they go into Eyes of the World. The first time that they ever played playing going into Eyes of the World. And um, just a, this whole second set is full of the Grateful Dead at their best, taking chances, doing things they never did, breaking out the cold rain on the heels of Samson, and plenty more to come. So the Eyes of the World is really interesting stuff as they break into this Eyes um, it's the word smooth would not would not be right to to apply to it, but they come in at a terrific tempo. One of the hot, one of the quickest eyes you'll ever you know as they as they break into it. We're strumming away and Garcia strumming away, and here the it's an amazing musical conversation. They're trying to find the right tempo as a, as a listener. I'm sure people in Colgate, people listening to it in the future, and people listening to it now, it it sounds so good. But they're definitely kind of having this conversation a little quicker, a little slower. And it, it's just it's, it's amazing. It's breathtaking. And then when they finally seem to settle on the tempo and they break it down and almost start over again in that introduction to eyes, Garcia can't help himself. He just starts peeling off these speed licks and um, off to the races again. And once again, you have that contrast of where they want to go with it. Yet, it sounds amazing. It doesn't sound sloppy at all. It's uh, one of the more unusual uh, introductions to Eyes, and the crowd goes nuts. You can even hear it on the soundboard tape, um, just to, you know, to an approval of how, how amazing it was. Then they jump in, and the first jam, the, the, the band is just moving so confidently. Garcia's playing around with the crowd with these beautiful licks. Excellent first jam, second jam, they... They, they fully uh, take this eyes, one of, the, one of the better ones of the year, but it's a year loaded with great eyes. I'm, uh, I'm not going to put it on the uh, level of some of the other ones like the Fox Theater or St. Louis, but definitely a very hot eyes, well played, uh, almost like anyone from 77. And then comes another combination, another uh, risk-taking venture in Colgate as they go from Eyes of the World into Estimate a Profit. And the Grateful Dead in the future would do this a few times, reverse the the uh, iconic combo. But this was the very first time that they went from eyes into estimated. And um, estimated, once again, keeping the crowd, the college crowd engaged in this very hot estimated profit. And it, Garcia's jamming away at the end, 
kind of like a Russian fiddler. <laughs> it's uh, uh, amazing uh, stuff to hear these uh, 77, the wah-wah pedal going. So eyes or mute the Mutron uh, guitar filter pedal. Um, so yeah, we got this amazing outro and uh, estimated segues into the other one. And uh, this was only I think the second time they they did estimated other one, and it's just it's devastating this other one. It's only it's a one verse other one. Um, we lose a few points on that. Everybody loves a full bodied full version other one. But my God, this is five minutes of sheer terror. Garcia's playing is incredible. It's, um, you know, they just wind it around and crazy guitar jams. Uh, the, the whole the whole band's just rocking. And there's this Cotterill gym, 3,000 people in there. You couldn't fit in another piece of musical equipment. It must have been that tight in there. And the band is just, you know, they're blowing the roof off the place, as they say. So a great... Great five-minute other one. Uh, there probably is no other version that you could say five minutes. That's great, but this one they just do the first verse and call, and that's the end of it. Right into drums. And a cool thing about this uh, little Mickey Billy drums here, it's it's very focused. Um, I don't have the time on it, but it seems like it's a little five-six minute uh, uh, drum break. Uh, the playing is uh, fantastic in it, and that's because it's. It's done with a purpose. It's headed towards Ico Ico. And of course, that's a great uh, song that went on to be a beloved uh, dead classic. Never overplayed. Um, always uh, seemed to get played uh, the right amount of times. Kind of like earlier in the show, Dupree's Diamond. Another Grateful Dead classic, which was never overplayed. Um, you know, you were lucky to catch it once, maybe twice a tour at the most. But the, the cool thing about this Ico, this was the fourth time they played Ico Ico. And the first three versions, all in 77, the first time they played was in St. Louis on May 15th. They seemed like um, precursor versions, like they were almost introducing the next song. Hey, we got this new thing, Ico Ico, let's do it before Not Fade Away. And they kind of threw it out there for a few minutes, and it was very cool. Obviously, it worked good. Uh, They went back to it. But this Ico Ico is, I think, really the first full-bodied one where they do all the verses Three instrumentals, Jerry going off, Keith has a nice solo in it, just, you know, the great feel, nice and relaxed. Uh, so, the, so the band's totally cooking after this drums. You got your Ico Ico, and then it goes for the, the, it takes like the first little kind of almost stopping time in its tracks with Stella Blue. And such, such a beautiful version, Jerry singing great. And it's, it's what the show needed at that time. And it was like the perfect selection. Hell, it may, maybe a Morning Dew. <laughs> morning Dew we couldn't have heard either. But uh, besides Morning Dew, I think Stella is about as good as you're going to get in that spot. So, uh, you know, Jerry gives it his all. It all rolls into one. They, they dig in, stop the time in the tracks, let Colgate take the whole thing in, if it's possible, take in what was going on that night. And uh, just the, the ending guitar solo here. It goes on for about four minutes, probably one of the longest Stella, Stella jams. And that, that's kind of, uh, uh, in Colgate, they were as rocking as the show was, as, as tight as everything was, they were taking their time, really uh, expanding on all the tunes. So great uh, Stella outro, just winding around and around, the band's ripping, and they work it back into playing in the band. 
And I mean, you could almost forget you were even in a playing loop here. There was so much great music in between, but they work it back to playing in the band. And it's just, just such a, a amazing statement here. I think a pounding, uh, conclusive, you know, just uh, celebratory playing in the band. Uh, they they work back a uh, nice little jam to get into the uh, reprise part, and uh, you know they they bring it on home, crash the ending as uh, triumphant as a playing in the band reprise could be, and that ends the set. And uh, it's beautiful the way in 1977 they did that on a couple occasions. Their playing loops uh, would end the set uh, in the Fox Theater. They did it when they had that beautiful playing wheel China doll. Uh, uh, was playing uh, actually Uncle John's uh, drums wheel China doll back into playing, and they also did it at one of the Palladium shows. I believe it was uh, May fourth. It, it was it was like a comes a time back into the playing, um, but yeah, really powerful when the, when they ended the set with playing like that and you know gave it their all. So just overall an, an incredible set, nothing like it. There's really no tape out there. You could say, oh yeah, that's that's kind of like Colgate. Colgate definitely has its own distinctive vibe. Uh, you got the unique uh, combinations in reverse. Colrain and Samson would go on to be a Grateful Dead favorite to open a set, but here you get Samson, Colrain. You got the breakout of Colrain and Ico. Uh, just very, very cool. And then the encore with Johnny Be Good, the perfect rock and roll number to end the night. Uh, once again, extremely powerful. A show like no other. Uh, the Grateful Dead doing it again. A band beyond description. Next up, we got the Jerry Garcia Band. Uh, back in 1977, I was, uh, at the time, probably listening to ending my kiss phase and jumping into the Led Zeppelin. Um, the Grateful Dead were a few years off. On November 4th, 1981, I was 18 years old, and it was dead ahead, man. I Earlier in the year, I had gotten into the Grateful Dead, and... On November 6th, two days later, I'd see my first Jerry Garcia band shows at the Capitol Theater in Passaic, New Jersey. But November 4th, 1981, there in Albany, Palace Theater, for a memorable show. Now, um, this show, I wrote a book, Positively Garcia, Reflections of the JGB, and I rated uh, the best 13 shows from the years 72 through 84. I never got to volume two of the book. That was volume one. And I put this uh, November 4th Albany show as the sixth best. And um, as I was thinking about this podcast, I, I said, is that really the sixth best show that I overrated? I listened to the tape this weekend a couple times and I hadn't heard it in a couple of years and I was just choked back with emotion. I'm like, hell yeah, this is such such a great show. So let me uh, give you the lineup for the Jerry Garcia band. Uh, we got Mr. Jerry Garcia, guitar and vocals. The one and only John Kahn on bass guitar, as always. Melvin Seals on keyboards. He started uh, with the Jerry Garcia band earlier in the year. And some of those earlier shows, he wasn't turned up as loud as he was at this point. At this point, they knew this was the guy. There's no doubt Melvin was the guy for Jerry. And um, his playing is great on this night, and it's turned up. You got Jimmy Warren on some electric keyboard. Uh, the great Ron Todd on drums. who played from everyone from Elvis to Jerry and everyone else in between. And the backing vocal tandem of Liz Styers and Julie Stafford. 
this is definitely one of the top Jerry Garcia band configurations. I love this. I love these guys and um, played a couple of great shows at the Palladium on November 10th. Uh, but in Albany, they start off with the most typical uh, but but beloved Jerry Garcia band openings. How Sweet It Is, Catfish John. Now, it's weird. The How Sweet It Is is the only song of the night which had a little bit of a throwaway feel. It was kind of short. Uh, Jerry just getting into it. And then um, Catfish John, which was a very good version, but not spectacular. Because pretty much everything after that Catfish John is spectacular. But when Garcia hits those uh, fanning, uh, some fanning notes at the end of the Catfish John, the Palace Theater is going nuts. This place was psyched from from the get-go, man. I never heard never heard a crowd like this. And if you listen to the tape, uh, you just be blown away between the interaction between Jerry and the audience and how the audience helped lift Jerry into another state. And Jerry returned the favor, lifting the audience into a state I've never heard an audience before. And um, that really all begins with the third song of the night, Second That Emotion, uh, this great Smokey Robinson song. And these these 1981 Jerry versions are to me are the are the best you'll hear. It's just it's the right tempo, the right feel. Uh, Jerry singing it great, and the guitar jams when when Jerry starts cooking the second that emotion, the Palace Theater is freaking going nuts. And and Albany at this time, 1981, there were so many deadheads attending SUNY Albany. If you were on a college campus in 1981 in New York State. All these college campuses had people with Grateful uh, Dead jean jackets, tie-dye shirts. It, it, was, it was really unbelievable how big the Grateful Dead were uh, by 1981, even though they, were, they weren't obviously not huge commercial at the time. They had built such a solid underground following, especially in this uh, region uh, you know, between New York, Albany, and North. It was, just, it was such a Grateful Dead stronghold. And the place is a great version of Second That Emotion. Uh, then they mellowed out just a little bit with Simple Twist of Fate, Jerry's beautiful cover of the Dylan tune. <laughs> and then uh, just the, the, my, they turned the place upside down again, uh, Mystery Train. And it, this is so up-tempo, and Jerry is so relentless in this. Uh, this is playing is just nonstop hotter and hotter, you know. And then they take the little... Uh, keyboard break in the middle, come back for some for another, for some more vocals, and somehow it just the, the playing's just incendiary, incendiary. It just gets hotter and hotter, and and all Albany's eating it up. It's uh, probably the best version of Mystery Train I've ever. When I was listening to it, I was like, I've never heard a Mystery Train like that. I I think that's the best version I've ever heard. And so we got five songs down. This is going to be a, a two set show in Albany, and they close out with Deal. Now this is a 1981 deal. Um, the, and the year before, they started that second jam and deal where it went from being, a, for the Grateful Dead, a great uh, first set song, kind of in the middle of the set, could end the set, but it wasn't like a showstopper, just a great song. By 1981, they were taking that second jam to make it a showstopper. And most of the 81 versions aren't as long as they would be in 83, 84, where it was such an obvious kind of showstopper, a guitar jam, showcase uh, but in 81, there's definitely some great versions. And what Garcia does in, the, in this Albany version is nuts. It's not long, but the guitar playing is, is just crazy. I'm going to play it for you. But it's almost like 
Garcia plays some notes and the Albany crowd just going nuts. They're loving it. And Jerry's all, oh, yeah, you like that? You're going to like this. You could almost hear him, hear the way he's thinking as he's responding to the audience. So right now we're going to check out the guitar jam from the 11-4-81 deal. Deadheads in Albany that night enjoying a ripping deal. And uh, I love Ron Tut's drumming on that. He just helped Jerry escalate that. And wow, just a, a fever pitch on that deal. Incredible stuff. So they, they take a break and they come out for set two, Jerry Garcia band. And it's as if they never left the stage. It just picks off at like that fever pitch. And they open up with one of the my favorite uh, Garcia band tunes. And this is why I love the Jerry Garcia band in this period so much. There's a lot of songs uh, that over the years they, they lost and they went for more spiritual songs, which were all great. We all love seeing Jerry do the different spiritual songs and everything evolves over time. Uh, but I'm a Roadrunner. It's just one of those songs that just got lost along the way. And uh, man, it was so powerful. So they open up, I'm a Roadrunner, and uh, Jerry's just racing around like the, like the cartoon figure in this Roadrunner. It just it takes off uh, so powerful. Up to that point, this is probably the best Roadrunner that was ever uh, ever done uh, by the Jerry Garcia band. Uh, but six nights later, I seen him at the Palladium, and that is the best Roadrunner. Uh, by, by the way, if you're looking for, um, to, to listen, it's not that easy to, to just a touch of the finger find the Jerry Garcia band, uh, you know, show like, like it is with the Grateful Dead. We all have such easy access, whatever way we choose to listen to the Grateful Dead. So on my, uh, Positively Garcia page, I got three of the songs from this show, uh, uploaded there, The Deal, I'm a Roadrunner, and Mission in the Rain. So you could just go to the 
Positively Garcia page if you want to check out any of these uh, versions. After this great Roadrunner, which finishes with a manic rush, um, the, the next song is Mission in the Rain. And there's something just so spiritual about this uh, kind of a song. Hunter penned uh, loosely on uh, Jerry's life up to that point. And when Jerry sings it and he comes to the, the pauses in, the, in this song and the crowd goes nuts, just brings back such, such great emotion. Like it, it was so nothing like seeing Mission in the Rain live when uh, Jerry is fully invested like he was in this time period. Uh, 1981 also gives us like these probably the best Mission in the Rains you'll ever hear. The, my first show at the Capitol Theater uh, November 6th is a great version. I thought it was the best until I heard this one. Uh, this one is insane. Uh, just, yeah, Albany is there. Every word, every lyric, first solo, long. Jerry's taking his time, building it uh, to the max. Somehow, with even with all the emotion out there in the audience, he didn't rush it at all. And then you get to the little keyboard break, comes right back. Everything's fluid, um, just totally in the moment. Once again, very long post-keyboard jam, un unusually long. It's, this is just a, an insane version of the Mission in the Rain. And then he comes back for the final verse, uh, some satisfaction in the Mission in the Rain. He sings the, the Mission in the Rain thing five times instead of, <laughs> instead of the usual four. Um, but this last solo, he goes every which way. Um, it's the most incredible thing, one of, one of the most beautiful things I've ever heard. And then you hear the crowd erupt at the end of it. This is this is what it's all about. So uh, I'm going to give you an unusually long piece here, about four minutes. We're going to take take in that whole last solo of this mission in the rain. Enjoy.
The mission may always look the same, but it never sounded as sweet as it did on November 4th, 81, Palace Theatre, Albany. And listen to those deadheads rip-roaring their approval for the Jerry Garcia Band. Uh, Great stuff. So uh, we're in set two. That's only a second song. There's still a a decent amount of time to go in the show. Uh, That's what love will make you do. What a great, another just a classic Jerry Garcia Band uh, tune to die for, a classic to die for Jerry song. Uh, Did it spectacular on this night. Uh, Jerry's uh, kicking and to hear um, Melvin and John Kahn uh, just work the groove in the middle, get that uh, kind of calypso um, reggae sound going. Uh, such a, a super song, one of the, the better versions of That's a Love Will Make You Do. Once again, I'll point out that Palladium show from November 10th has a just a, probably the best That's a Love Will Make You Do I've ever heard, along with the Roseland 83, if you want to hear some other great versions of that. Uh, so on the heels of the mission, that's what love will make you do. It keeps the crowd uh, rocking in Albany. And then it's ballad time, the night they drove old Dixie down. And, and you think a tune might like this might ease a crowd, relax them, sit back in your seat. The freaking Albany is going nuts during uh, the, the night they drove old Dixie down, and rightfully so, because Jer- Jerry just in 81 and 82 sang this with so much soul. Uh, just a, another great version. And then uh, to wrap it up, another one of the classic Jerry Garcia band tunes, Tangled Up in Blue. Uh, Garcia rips on this. But Ron Tut, uh, love his sound. You know, uh, Kreutzmann kind of took over a lot of the 82 uh, Garcia band shows, so they were in pretty good hands in 82. But love hearing Tut in 81. Uh, Garcia band had Greg Rico in, in 83. who used to play with Sly and the Family Stone. So always uh, a great drummer driving the Jerry Garcia band. Uh, worked wonders and tangled up in blue. So you got a two great show, uh, two set, two sets of, of great music here. And a lot of times Jerry Garcia band wouldn't play an encore after a two set show. Usually after a one set show, they always played the encore. Sometimes he would just split after a two set show. Even in a great show like Music Mountain from June 16th, 1982, there was no encore that night. But on this night... There was no way he was leaving without giving Albany one more. And that one more was Sugary, Shake It Indeed. So they played a, a very cool Sugary, good second and third solo on it. But in the encore position, they couldn't do like an 18-minute Sugary. So it's just, it's very hot. But I mean, what more could you ask for? Just that uh, they played all the great songs. And there's so many just outstanding versions here that, that come into that GOAT category of greatest of all time. But um, I'll double down. That Mission in the Rain is easily the best best version I've ever heard. Um, yeah, so if you get a chance, check it out. Jerry Garcia Band, Palace Theater, November 4th, 1981. And that wraps up this November 4th edition of the Deadology Podcast. I'm your host, Howard Weiner. Thanks for listening. Uh, subscribe to the podcast. I'm coming back strong every week with uh, new material. If you want to reach out to me, I got the social media things going, um, Facebook, uh, there's a Positively Garcia page, probably better reach me personally on my Facebook page, I, I tend to see that more often, catfishgarcia82 at yahoo.com is, is my email, and my website, tangledupintunes.com, 
my book, Positively Garcia, Reflections of the Jerry Garcia Band, Reflections of the JGB, available on Amazon. You can also see it on the website. And hey, that's it, man. Another beautiful week of deadology in the books. I'm not sure what I'm doing next week, but I'm sh- but whatever it is, it's going to be hot. Peace out. <laughs>